probably converted me into that um, probably more dictator style, that idea where I was just a bit more aggressive and a bit more firm on, on players because I thought that was the way that it had to be done and you know, that was the way that the coaches were sort of put it, um, moving us down that path and when really it was later in my career that it clicked to me to say, no, you just need to be yourself, you need to be comfortable with who you are. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, leaders. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lead Podcast. Our aim is to uncover the art of leadership by speaking with thought leaders and experts from different sectors. My name is Ali and I am joined with my co-host Amin talking to Brad Ebert. If you think high performance is more important than trust, whether it's in leadership or when pursuing goals, then you better buckle up and hear it from Brad himself. Brad had the pleasure of working with some of the most reputable performance psychologists and leadership coaches in the world who have actually trained dozens of players at football clubs, such as Arsenal and Liverpool. In this part of our two-part episode, drawing the line between sports and business is a truly daunting task, but definitely exciting and eye-opening to say the least. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Brad, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you very much, guys. I'm uh, excited to be sitting with you. Looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, Brad, I mean, your story is quite well known to the South Australian footy enthusiast, um, but I think there's there's a magic when you hear this story from the person itself. Mm-hmm. So do you mind sharing your story from your early childhood to where you're at now? Yeah, no worries. Um, well, so pretty much I'm a born and bred South Aussie. I grew up in the western suburbs at West Beach there. Um, my parents were both pretty into their footy. Well, my mum was a sportsman as well, She a sportswoman. She used to play for um, play netball, so she was pretty going pretty well along the netball path and, and retired young, but um, yeah, my dad was sort of a, a footballer as well. So, so growing up, I guess, um, you're sort of thrown into that sort of sports environment, I guess, and, and what it is to be surrounded by, um, I, I guess, sports sports enthusiasts but um i guess a lifestyle that probably goes with that um so like i said i grew up there went to school around there um and all the while i guess went through the standard sort of stuff i've got a sister who's a couple of years younger than me and um yeah went to school but the whole way along i guess my vision my dream was all surrounded by wanting to play afl footy and you know from a young age i remember in primary school a teacher said to me like what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, play footy. You know? Like, okay, that's cool, but like, what, what do you actually want to do? Because like in the 90s, I guess, it was just switching to that whole professionalism, um, full-time you know, footballers, and um, I just saw that as like, oh, that's, that's the path. That's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. Um, and, but yeah, all the while, just doing the standard sort of stuff, I guess, along the way. And um, Fortunately for me, I got to the end of my schooling and... and um, got drafted by West Coast, so I don't know if you guys are too familiar with the draft system, but pretty much put your, your hat in the ring, and um, well, there is a father-son rule, sorry, I should preface this, there's a father-son rule where you can go to a club if your father played a certain amount of games, my dad didn't quite make the cut for that, so he had to play 200 SNFL games to go to, directly to Port Adelaide, which is the club I guess my family were attached to, my, um, yeah, my uncle played a lot, and, and he had a lot of recognition from you know, from the outside world. I was world about as to a, ask you about your uncle. Yeah, as, as a good footballer and well, I guess 
a good person really um my grandpa played my dad played so i had that real footy connection to port um but yeah my dad only played 180 games you had to play 200 to get father son at that time so i put my hat in the ring and, and got drafted by west coast eagles so at that age i was 17 i, I vividly remember it was um my school graduation on the friday night the schoolies was the week before so that was great and then i had the draft on on the weekend of schoolies so that was always good fun because went over to Melbourne, saw the draft, got picked up by West Coast and then went back down to Victor Harbour for a couple of nights to, <laughs> to celebrate it. But, um, but, right. Uh, that is one weekend to remember, oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And then it was funny. Then the following week was Friday night was our graduation and then Saturday morning I jumped on the plane at 6am and, and was off. So it was, it was um, looking back on it now, you, at the time you just think you're indestructible and I was 17 and I thought, you know, this is going to be awesome. You literally hit the ground running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm off here. This is great. Um, then you realise, you know, you look back now and you think, geez, you were still a kid and you're a bit of a smart ass and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, you, you look back and you think, you see 17-year-olds now and you think, yeah, I don't know, like, they're pretty immature and there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. But at that time, I thought I was indestructible. So, anyway, went over there, played for West Coast Eagles for four years. Um and then I was 21 at the time when I was pretty keen to get myself back to South Australia and I just felt, you know, this pull to, to come back to Port and come back to Adelaide and, and be around family and friends and, um, yeah, deal was struck, got done and moved back here. So played nine seasons with Port and football side of things. Um, yeah, finished my career in 2020 and but all the while, like, I guess I wanted to start with the footy side of it because I guess that's where, you know, people probably have recognized or known me but all the while i guess going to wa was probably the best thing that could ever happen because i was a real sheltered um kid I, I, you know like i said footy was everything that's what i wanted to do you go to wa you get thrust into this whole other environment and your world can really well open up but uh, at the same time you have a lot of learnings along the way so um coming back to sa i, I probably came back a, a different person i came you know went away as a kid it's always cliche but you know you go away as a kid and you come back a, a bit of a man so um, yeah, so I came back and um, I've always found that outside uh, a real thrill to me. Maybe it was because I was so sheltered as a kid. I was always desperate to, to search for more and to try and find more and, and to do different things. And um, in saying that, I ended up doing a sports science degree, so it probably wasn't that outside of footy. But halfway through that was when I really, the, the penny dropped that, you know, this probably not not be the path for me. And, you know, what, what more is there? Where do I go? And... Um, and I've always just enjoyed that, that side of study and learning and I guess the curiosity to, to, uh, to life and to different opinions and, and different paths. So, um, yeah, now I'm, I'm married. I met my wife in WA, married with two children and, and really enjoying life outside of footy, which has seen me you know, start up a small wine business, which has then led me to work with Treasury Wine Estates, which is uh, they own like Penfolds and Wolf Blast and Pepper Jack and... Um, it's been really cool, really, really exciting to get outside of that bubble. Um, but in the same token, you, you do appreciate the the grounding that football gives you and, and a lot of those life lessons that um, that can come along the way from that. So many questions that comes to my head just hearing the life story and, and the fact that you said you wanted to be a footy player when you were... When did that start? 12, 13, 14? Oh, younger. Younger, five. five. I've got pictures of a, as a kid dressing up in Port Adelaide, kick, kicking out the back. Yeah. That was... Um, nice. 
yeah, like I said, just the, the path that I was adamant to take. Mm. So a lot of people have that, those dreams, right? I want to be something by that particular age or I want to get somewhere. But let's say I'm going to just throw a number out there. Probably 1% of people make it, mm. actually make it. So what was the reason behind your persist, like persistence to actually get there? Yeah, I, I have thought back around that side of it. And I think a lot of the time you are just very single-minded and you're so focused on what you're wanting to achieve. Um, I, I think there was that belief there as well where... And maybe it was the fact that I had the family backing and, and I had a lot of that sort of history behind me that sort of made me think, well, they were able to do it, so can I. And I think maybe it is that idea that you've got that, that image in your mind that you you see it and therefore why can't you achieve it as well. And um, So, yeah, growing up, I guess, a lot of the conversations end up coming back to sport and back to footy and your weekends are always engrossed in that side. And um, I think... The fact that I was just quite, sing- I was quite single-minded, and I was just so adamant that. that you mean you focused, right, by single-minded? Yeah, focused. I was focused. Yeah. yeah, and that's you know, as a kid, a lot of the you know kids at sixteen, seventeen start going to parties and start you know drinking up and doing all those sort of things. Um, I was pretty focused to to remain true to. Oh, no, I want to play footy, and that's my path. And so you know, I was able to, I guess, push aside a lot of those distractions and stay pretty pretty focused and. I think now that I've been through it and got there and got into it, I think it was great because it really set me up on that path. But I've had so many times where halfway through my career, I was sitting there like, what the hell? Like, what am I doing all this for? You know, and it almost made me, by being so focused as a kid, I think it sometimes can suck out a bit of the love and a bit of the passion when you're actually living it. And it's only been the last 18 months since I've finished that I've had that chance to go, well, actually, no, the last two years of my career, I probably saw it better. Um, just that aha moment to go, what am I, why am I so stressed? Why am I so locked into this, um, this bubble? Um, and it does come back to, yes, you're a high performer. You want to achieve. You want to do things well. Um, but then there's that ability to switch off and actually enjoy other things and, and put your mind to other, other focuses. And it probably came when I, I started having kids, really. It just gave me that perspective and that different thoughts of on life really yeah i can tell you've done a fair bit of reflecting <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> did you think you had a better chance of success in footy coming back to a say yeah the, i don't know whether it was the idea that i thought i would have had a better chance it was probably more at that time like i said i, I was quite um you know i was a sheltered kid i was quite naive to bigger picture of the world and so going to WA really helped in opening my eyes and making me see things a lot clearer and a lot better. But at the same time, it's only on reflection that I think like that. You know, at the time I was sitting there thinking, yes, the, the, the grass will be greener in SA. I will get back to family. I love South Australia. This is where it needs to be without actually thinking, well, hang on a second. I've got the chance to really create my own path here in WA. Um, yeah, so it, it probably did come back to that idea that, okay, well... I've loved Port Adelaide as a kid. This is this is where I want to be, and so I did go down that path. But um, looking back on reflection now, yeah, I probably could have stuck it out for another few years and, and given it a better crack. But it would have only come about if I had the right mindset that I did when I came back. If you know what I mean? Like yep. it felt as if the, the the mindset that I came back with here um, just changed a bit, and, and I don't know if I would have still remained 
I would have had that if I stayed in WA any longer. So um, interesting. Yeah. Where do you think Brad would be today if he had stayed in WA? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'd say I probably wouldn't have lasted in the competition as long. I think I was battling with just that self doubt. I was battling with um, not so much fear of failure, but just that idea that. I didn't have that sense of belonging and, and maybe that was something that drew me back to Port Adelaide and, and maybe that's, you know, I just remember always, and it was just as a kid, you're thinking about things, you know, you're overthinking things, but I just remember, you know, walking in the corridor and having a chat to some of the senior guys and, you know, you'd be coming out of contract after a year or two and, and they'd be like, oh, mate, so you're off, back off to Adelaide then? And, you know, it's just little things that you go like, oh, man, well, no, but you almost felt like you had to, constantly try and prove that you were going to stay there and, and in the end I don't know I just got to that point where I was pretty adamant that eh, I, I do want to go back to Adelaide and so I'm doing it mm. this is so interesting I'm looking at Ali right now because when other people remind you you have to prove almost like why you deserve to be here or mm. like it's like earning your position it doesn't sound different to me whether it's a different country or a different state yeah uh, and that's I guess you guys live it and the thing is you guys have and you live it in a fantastic way where you're able to embrace everything that comes with being here and and that's probably the part that I missed in WA where it was always every time I had a break it was back to SA or um, you know my now wife she's got a holiday home down south of WA and do you want to come down there for the weekend? No, no, I've got to go back home you know and it was just little things like that and now I go back to WA and I love going down to their holiday home but it was just that idea that you were missing out on something that just kept wanting me to go back there. You get back and you open your eyes and you realise, hey, you know what, not much has changed. But it's, um, yeah, you're probably sitting over there just dwelling on that. Whereas you guys have come in with open eyes, with uh, with clear clear eyes and are keen on, on embracing what you've got around you. And so that's where I admire what you guys are doing. Thanks, mate. Uh, I want to put a different spin on, on Amy's question, the previous question, about the experience you had when you moved from SA to WA I'm assuming you did that by yourself yep. and the family didn't come what did that teach you because I'm just thinking I'm reflecting on the time that I moved to Australia and, when, and how much that experience has taught me that still, still I mean it's still a kind of learning journey but I'm keen to hear if you can reflect back on that time that period that you were by, by yourself what did you learn I guess for me um, it was I learned how to be an adult in a way I learned how to think for myself I learned how to critically analyse situations um, and so for that I'm thankful you know I went and lived over with a host family for a couple of years and um, just their perceptions on thing were fan- things were just awesome in the sense that they just opened my eyes to, to the bigger world while they were still at footy nuts and they loved it they still also had that world outside that they, they embraced and so for me it was that idea of getting a better perspective on on life that footy isn't everything but at the same time I guess I still was caught up in that bubble and I think it's now reflecting back on it that you can truly appreciate that what about the concept of self-doubt and and did that carry on when you come to back to Port Adelaide uh yeah there was elements yeah yeah Yeah, and there was that probably chip on your shoulder where you were desperate to prove that you know, when it all finished in WA, you sort of go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to prove that I am, I do belong in this competition, I do belong in this level. But it always was in the back of your mind, do I actually? I, I don't know. And so there's always that idea of self-doubt. And I think that, um, you know, even as the career went, like you sort of get to this position of vice-captain at the footy club and a leader. And, and even when I was at those sort of 
periods in my career you're still 22 23 like you're quite young and then you're still trying to find yourself let alone lead a team and so yeah there's there's certainly that fear of um whether it's you know like, like i said well that fear of whether you're on the right path whether you are doing it right and um and i think that that probably led to so if you're converting into that leadership sort of talk it probably converted me into that um probably more dictator style that idea where i was just a bit more aggressive and a bit more firm on on players because i thought that was the way that it had to be done and you know that was the way that the coaches were sort of put um moving us down that path and when really it was later in my career that it clicked to me to say no you just need to be yourself you need to be comfortable with who you are and leadership will flow from there and it's not so much that you get the title of leader and so therefore you have to be that guy it's like that evolution of who you are and the better that you understand yourself you're able to then impart that on others so do you think there is a big misconception in sports around leadership I you touched on a good point around i think it's evolving yeah i think that when i first got in there it was that idea that the best player is the leader because he knows how to do it and he'll be fine when in reality and you know the coaches were the best players and but a lot of the time the best players don't make the best coaches because they just expect everyone to be like them and therefore they just put you in the box that well if you're not hard and you're not tough you don't belong and i'll drive that home whereas i think that idea of um you know that compassionate leader that you know i think you're sort of talked on authenticity and that ability to go hang on let's drop the guard a little bit here let's break it down and actually get to know people as individuals that you then build trust through those moments um and then you can sort of start building up that framework from there to to really build a strong group and so yes when i first started it was very you know dictator sort of style where it was coach tells you to run to x you run to x as hard as you can um to a more i don't know collaborative sort of approach and yes it was still the agenda was set at the top and it was flowed down but I think for a period there as leaders, we got feedback throughout the time. We probably got stuck as that conduit where it was getting fed down and we were just forcing the message rather than actually hearing what was coming from below and actually being able to push that back up. And, um, you know, we had a period there where we got to the prelim final and we were really looking good and we lost by less than a kick and um, we thought it was all flowing. And so therefore what ended up happening was we just went to deeper into that mode of oh that's the way it has to happen that's the way it has to happen and it was only a year and a half into that where you know the wheels start falling off that you realize hang on a second that's not how you have to lead you're doing it completely wrong and you're really just messing up a lot of people along the way that get spat out the other end and it's i think it was at that point that as a club we really turned and went you know what we we need to understand what it is that make made us get to this point utilize those strengths and actually understand them at people at a deeper level to then be able to I guess have that flow of of conversation from top down but also bottom up who did you guys look up to in terms of high performing teams or or i guess individuals i've got one example in mind yeah like so from a sports perspective i think a lot of the time in sport you do draw on sport you know and you do draw on other sports and um so early days you know you're looking at a lot of what's going on in the nfl so if there's teams really dominant you know patriots and you'd look at different things like that but i think what happens in footy is as well you're always 
not chasing the Joneses, is that what it's called? Uh, you know, where you're, you're almost looking to, to what's happening across the sea and saying, oh, is that right, is that right? Um, so I think there's a lot of the time you're almost trying to follow what a team does to try and catch up. You know, Richmond, three or four years ago, have won four flag, uh, three flags in the last five years now and have had been a dominant team for that period. So everyone starts trying to play that same way. Everyone tries to sort of do those things. Hawthorne were the team before that. And so everyone starts... And it's always the first team that has that first mover advantage that are the ones that really innovate and they're the ones that succeed. Melbourne at the moment, they won last year, changing the game style a little bit, adapting the style, but a lot of it came back to their ability to stop and build resilience through, I guess, um, being more you know, relationship-based, I think. Yeah, from, from looking from the outside, it felt as if there was that real... And um, Port Adelaide the same. We talked about connection, that real connection piece that... Um, brought us together as a group which galvanised us against the external and really sort of helped us go forward so that was a long way off of what you just said about you know other teams but yeah you do you look at those other sports and other teams personally I always like to look outside a bit so I was always just a bit curious about reading different books and um, learning about different people you know Steve Jobs and Elon Musk's of the world and trying to break that down a little bit deeper so I was always looking a bit outside but um, yeah mm-hmm. what, what, what was your example? Navy Seals um, yep. and there's you touched on performance and trust I don't want to get into this whole topic right now but long story short is um, the most performing I suppose team in the world like one of the most I guess you can say Navy Seals and actually for them trust ranks higher than performance they'd rather hire someone who ranks high trust low performance on their graph mm. and mm. they would almost every time choose that over going high performance mid trust the trust has to be high yeah. and that becomes life and death doesn't it and this is where we had um, a performance well, it was a forensic psychiatrist actually but he was working with like the Navy SEALs SAS sort of level at New Zealand and Kerry Evans his name is and he was always putting that into perspective as well, where he was working with these guys, he's working with high-performance athletes, and then he's working with our petty issues at put, you know, at football. And you could see where his mind would just tick over going like, mm, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, because he was dealing with guys that were putting themselves into life-and-death situations daily, and it was. It did become that real trust factor. I think what happens at times in that high-performance space is, you know, when your actions don't reflect what you're actually doing uh, or what you, your comments don't reflect your actions I think that there's times when you know as a team we were uh, saying that that was what was happening oh we trust everything we do it all but really when push comes to shove it's like selectors and stuff like that they'd always then put the same players back in the side and that really created this disjointed organisation group in, in team because the guys that were 23rd 24th on the list and weren't getting picked or were every now and then that were doing their job, that had trust from players, were the first ones to get dropped for the big-name players that would pop themselves back in the side. Um, And I think that becomes a real dangerous situation when you do go down that path of just rewarding talent rather than rewarding, yeah, trust and and actual teamwork and hard work. So, um, yeah, I certainly sit on that space with that. Uh, I think in footy we worked with SAS and Navy SEALs and... And it's really cool to sort of see that side of it. I probably, um, for a period there, ate it up and really enjoyed it. I felt that you know you can draw on it too much though because of the fact that that is life and death, and it's hard to you know it's hard to then say what we do is 
on the same sort of path as what they're doing. But at the same time, you can always draw parallels. And, and so it was a very interesting um, well, lifestyle that they choose. And it probably does come back to that initial point about that real dogged, single-minded focus um, to achieve that goal. Yeah. You, you touched on, on, on awarding talent, right? Mm. So I think that's something happened in, 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 in any kind of profession where... Uh, where if you were to trust people to do a certain job you tend to go to the most the best performing yep. or, or the one with the most experienced or the ones with the best names how, how did you go about giving those younger ones a shot and how did you kind of nourish them to to perform and build that get rid of that self-doubt that we talked about early on and actually yeah. prove themselves that they can do the job yeah well I can happily say at the start that I probably didn't get that right for a period and I think it was the fact that I was demanding things from them without having built a relationship and a, a grounding for true change I guess and that's you'll, you'll probably realise as I go through it a lot of it does come back to that relationship factor because I did gauge by the end that um, you can keep demanding people to do it and they'll do it for a period but then without having that real trust and that, that real guts behind it, um, it can really f- become words. And I think for younger guys, um, what, what we did in the end, which I thought was quite successful, because everyone has their own life, everyone has their own stuff going on outside of footy. So you, you're sort of going off and doing your own things, but they set up like a bit of a mentor you know, side of things. Mm. And, um, so you get paired up with these young guys and it's almost just about just checking in. And the ability to sort of go you know, do I mean, and say, mate, how are you tracking? Like, and, and it doesn't have to be once a week, sit down with your pad and pen. It's just really that idea that it just triggers you to go to the guy that might be struggling and just say, you know, how you doing? How you traveling? What's new? Do you want to grab a coffee? You know, come around for dinner and, and meet the wife and hang out with the kids and stuff. And I think that it was those sort of, um, started off probably being forced relationships, but they do help break up that age gap and, and probably that real... Um, cultural divide between a 17 or an 18 year old kid coming in and a 31 year old that's sort of on the other end um, I think it, just, it has the ability to sort of start that conversation and hopefully from there build a relationship build trust which then transfers to performing or field right you know it's actually starting to blow my mind how similar sport is to to any other profession when it comes I've, to <laughs> I've loved being able to do this now and realise that yeah because I think with footy like I said because I was so sheltered like I'd never worked a day to, you know work until you know I was 31 I guess really when you think about it so it um it's quite funny in that sense where initially I was almost once again self-doubt kicked in you go are my skill sets ready for what is outside of footy and, and all that even though yes I felt like I was prepared because I'd done study and I'd learned and I'd worked with people and, but yeah that ability to go into the workforce now a year into this job with treasury and you go ah there's so much, so many translatable skills that you know cross um, that sports boundary. I think that's where footy and sport is perfect in the sense that it it does give you a really strong grounding of teamwork, of of trusting other people, of working collaboratively to you know to a goal. And so yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I'm taking a different spin on this. I'm thinking you still, you know, came from a high performing environment. We're mm-hmm. talking about sports on the field every mistake is visible mm. everyone can see it well yeah that's not that's exactly not a, no. what happens in business no so my question is <laughs> what was the gap 
on that first day when you're 31 joined I'm not sure where you started yeah. was it uh, treasury yeah, yeah. Yep. I think it's almost the ability to realise it gives you confidence going outside because I was fearful of you know whether I had the skills whether I knew what I was doing and I think that what ends up happening is footy gives you that really strong grounding of almost a generalist without necessarily having that specialist sort of core but and this is where I really do credit Treasury for giving me a crack in that sense. They saw all that and they thought, you know what, let's just plop him in and see what happens. And really now my job is, you know, normally down to a viticulturalist. So someone that, you know, studies viticulture for years and I'm able to then go in and use what I know and still have that sort of high-performing, um, which hopefully doesn't sound too arrogant because one of my big things is ego, but... Um, dropping the ego but um you know having that sort of mentality and then being able to go oh now i work in a completely different field there is um yeah that gap i guess but i think it's in favor of someone that has lived in the high performing sport environment i think coming into normal work life certainly favors people that have got that sort of mindset right so from someone else's perspective Mm. like the people you work with I guess because that's your new team I yeah, suppose that yeah. you're working with um, that's what the challenge is I guess you have to find a new way to Type. establish that relationship or the way to execute and things because well back at the club yeah yeah well, no, that's how we <laughs> that's how we did it and you do you do build a lot of trust and a lot of um, your relationships are forged on training camps or on a exactly. three and a half hour session where you're out in the field and you've run 15 k's and it's 40 degrees Real bonding. And, and, well, and it's, yeah, it's those moments where, like, we did those SAS sessions, and not that I agree with them anymore, but they did have those elements where you go, like, oh, my God, we just pushed through that together. You know, we talk about this Dubai camp that we went on in 2014, and, you know, you can still laugh about some of the stuff that went on because, yeah, you lived these, you know, 100, what was it, 100 hundreds, everyone sort of talks about it. We did 100, 100 meter efforts, and those sort of moments, you know, they do, they create those sort of moments. And they forge a bond, but then, yeah, I'm not going to then go to tr- the guys at Treasury and say, "Hey guys, let's go out and do a 15k session." What do we want to think? We need to bond. Yeah, <laughs> we need a strong relationship. Let's all go training, and we're, you know. Well, but there's there's another there's the other elements of it, you know, and that's where I think it's been good in that sense where you go and you know break it down with a guy that sits behind you that you see everyone else in the office that just you know, fixated in their little world. And taking that step back and go, you know what, I'm going to go and sit with Ali today and talk about life and just see what's going on in his family's situation. And and it's amazing I've found um, that ability to just stop and check in on other people and, and talk and want to know and actually be curious um, and have the, I guess, the courage. It, it almost is a bit of that courage to it sort of drop the guard and want to yeah. go talk to someone. Yeah. And, um and be seriously genuine about wanting to know them. I think that has massively helped going into another environment because, like you said, everyone sort of just comes into work, clocks on, yep. does their job, and then out they go. So if you can sort of have a point of difference, it, um, it helps. Right. This brings us to the end of part one of two of our conversation with Brad. We truly appreciate you tuning in. Please let us know what resonated with you the most by tagging us in in your LinkedIn and Instagram posts. You can also follow us on both LinkedIn and Instagram. Keep an eye out for the second part of this episode, which we will publish soon. 
We have so many other exciting guests ahead where we cannot wait to share them with you. But until then, you lead the way.